1: This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. As you all know, this is a business that I started to give back more to conservation. We roast premium coffee and it ships out within hours of roasting. This guarantees that when you order, you get the freshest coffee possible available. The kicker we donate 10% of our proceeds back to conservation. You choose where the donation goes at checkout. Check us out at SkullBrewCoffee.com and let's do some good together and help protect wild places one cup at a time. Visit SkullBrewCoffee.com and pledge your support of conservation today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 123. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Greger of Next Mile Meals, and we're discussing eating healthy in the backcountry, so stay tuned. is happening out there happy wednesday to all you out there listening happy uh happy i think velvet fest finally velvet velvet season is is upon us and if you know i'm sure many of you have probably started putting your cameras out into the timber if you haven't yet and i'm sure that's probably on your to-do list it's fast approaching food plotting kind of happening right now and all those all the above has kind of been taking place for me you know i think i mentioned the previous podcast did a little planned to do a little bit of work back at our family property but <clears throat> the plans were foiled did hang some cameras but this weekend had two i guess very exciting things that happened first um uh, we actually had a our first skull brew coffee event so that was cool the family and i went out and were part of this uh festival in a town near uh near where we live and we set up and uh we're slinging coffee for conservation at the event and uh and we had a nice. Uh, I, I guess it was a, a good welcome. Uh, we had a lot of folks stop by, a lot of people try coffee, and a lot of people pick up coffee. So it was uh, all in all, it was a good, a good event. And uh, of course, you know, it was it, it's extra nice. I guess you know you, you could say um, whenever you get to spend the day with your family doing that, and we do it all together. So that was kind of a that was kind of a cool thing. But on the deer topic, um, you know, so Sunday I actually you know dedicated to getting out in the morning and had some cameras to hang and some of the pieces that are around my house and John and I will be doing a catch up here soon. So I won't be, I won't belabor the the points too much, but there were really four pieces that I was looking to try to hang cameras on one. Um, you know, I won't get into the details, but one, I I don't have access to any longer. So that's uh, scratched off the list. So I ended up hitting up a couple of the other pieces of public that I'd scouted wanted to hang cameras. So got a chance to get out and do that. Uh, I've some high hopes for a few of these places. Um, and, uh, I think I might've figured out a couple puzzle pieces as I'd mentioned, uh, you know, earlier in the, in the winter, whenever I first did the, uh, did a scout through, um, these particular pieces. So I actually ended up finding a new piece today, uh, kind of, you know, on purpose by accident, I guess. Um, it was just something I had, had overlooked in the past and I just happened to be kind of nearby it while I was walking, uh, through from another piece. And, uh, you know, decided. Hey, while I'm here, I might as well kind of take a sachet through, and did, and it uh, ended up being. You know, glad that I did because I ended up jumping a buck, found a bed, and uh, put a camera out in that area too. Um, and that was a piece that I wasn't even really considering um, for for this year. So I still have one more property to hang cameras on. Um, I think one more, at least one more property to hang cameras on, and then uh, there might be a piece or two that pops up here. Uh, actually, no, there's two pieces I have to have to hang cameras on. So I think this year. You know, it's taken me a few years of living here to finally get you know a couple different good spots to hunt in. But I think this year I'm going to have one, two, three, four, five, possibly six spots um, that are all uh, public access spots. That uh, some of them are hidden, little hidden gems that are aren't real big. um, You know, maybe twenty five acres or so that uh, that I'm able to hunt on, uh, which is really cool. Um, and I have some decent deer from last year that I think made it through on a couple of these pieces that I think will, uh, provide some fun for the, uh, provide some fun for the fall. But, you know, while I was scouting and kind of hang, hanging cameras, you know, it's, you know, one of the things I've been kind of focusing on here, at least this, uh, you know, on, on this past Sunday, the other thing I've been doing a lot of recently is kind of taking a look at my gear. And I always say that I'm going to do this every year. You know, I take a look at my gear, but it ends up happening almost right up, you know, the week before the season opens. Um, before I really kind of, you know, have that oh, oh shit moment, I didn't do as much as I wanted to do with my gear for this year to figure out what's going to be most efficient for me. Um, and so this year, you know, as I'd mentioned, you know, in previous podcasts, last year was the first year that I had uh, saddle hunted using the, uh, the, the tethered man, a saddle and the, and the predator platform. And I, that was probably like 90% of all my hunts I hunted out of that, out of the saddle. Um, and this year, you know, um, you know, my, my stands are hanging in the garage. I don't anticipate that they'll, that they'll come out unless, you know, there's some, you know, you know, I guess you, you never say never, there might be an instant where, or an instance where they might need to come out, but for all intents and purposes, it's like my focus this year is really on saddle hunting a hundred percent. Um, and so all the setups that I'm kind of looking at whenever I'm going in and hanging cameras is with that in mind. And so what I started doing this year is I knew, you know, I really didn't have, because I jumped into saddle hunting last year, you know, it was my first year and d- jumped into it kind of late. Um, I didn't really have everything set up the way that I wanted to because um, I, I was brand new to it. And so, you know, I, I, I learned a lot this year, of course, having Greg from Tethered on, you know, I think two different times, he and I, he and I, you know, did a podcast together and learned a lot from him, a lot from, you know, his G2 outdoors YouTube page and so forth. Um, and I knew this year that I needed to make some changes to really, you know, optimize the, the system so it could really, you know, do as much as I could possibly do with it. And so this year I really started focusing in on my climbing mechanisms and how I was going to get into the tree, um, you know, because the the benefit of saddle hunting is that you don't have nearly as much metal that you're dealing with. So you're not, you know, worried so much about metal on metal noise. The only place that that really comes into into play for the most part is, you know, whatever you're using to climb, whether you're using sticks, steps, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and so, you know, some of these places that I've been finding you know, over the past winter. And then, you know, today the, the new piece that I found a lot of it, I'm kind of getting pretty close to, to betting, which I've always kind of tried to do in the past, but I would always kind of hedge my bets a little bit. Cause I was never hundred percent confident I could be as quiet as I wanted to be. Um, and so this year, knowing that, you know, I think last year that had I been a little bit more confident and maybe had my climbing kind of set up dialed in a little bit more where I knew that I could be quiet. Um, you know, maybe I would have got an opportunity at one of those big deer in the swamp because truth be told, um, you know, the encounter that I did have, um, you know, he came in while I was hanging a, hanging a tree stand and he heard me kind of as I was hanging the stand, he heard it. And uh, that was the that was the end of that. Um, never saw him on the hoof again. Um, so with that, you know, I'm looking at a couple different options for climbing. You know, there's some step options what I've which I've looked at. Um, you know, of the the cam over variety, and then also of the strap variety. Um, so you know, I think there's there's a, a product out there that's similar to what I guess the Maristep used to be. Um, so I've tried some of those, um, and then of course I have my sticks that I've always used. And I you know, I and the 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 Wild Edge steps I've tr- I've tried, and I I do like the the. The idea of them, I'm just not efficient with them yet. Um, I have a nader and a swader that I'm using to get in and out of the, you know, to in and out of the tree. I've done a couple climbs with it. Um, it's definitely quiet. Um, the only challenge for me is is that I'm not as used to it as, as I am my sticks, and so I'm, I'm continuing to work uh, working with that. But I didn't want to let myself out to dry, so to speak, and have only one option for climbing. So what I ended up doing was taking my own, my old Lone Wolf sticks. And cut them down to 17 inches, and then replaced all the you know the the straps with am steel blue um, uh, rope. Um, so it ended up coming in you know. I think the, the sticks with the ropes on them, I think ended up being f- uh, like five pounds ish. Uh, I can get, and I use a five step aider as well with those, uh, with the sticks. So it's like 17 inch sticks. I use three of them with a five step aider gets me close to 21 feet. And so that's really what my setup's going to be. And what that's allowed me to do is kind of debulk the bag that I was using. So I can use a smaller pack. Um, so anyone out there who's interested in saddle hunting or considering it, you know, I would definitely uh, check out Tethered. You know, it's Tetherednation.com. Uh, they got a ton of uh, different products. You can buy an entire saddle kit, or you can kind of piece one together on your own as you kind of get comfortable and understand what you want and what you uh, what you need. Um, Greg, Ernia, all the guys at Tethered are awesome too. You know, any questions that you have, they're usually always on the Facebook Saddle Hunter uh, page or you know the Saddle Hunter forum as well. And you know, anyone on those places would be happy to answer your questions. So if you're considering saddle hunting, you want to be mobile you want to be lighter. Uh, you want to be stealthier. You want to be quieter. Um, those are all great reasons to get into saddle hunting. And if you want the lightest possible, the tethered manis comes in at a whopping 15 ounces. So, um, if those things are important to you, I would def- definitely check out the tethered products. So with that, we have a cool show today. Um, a little bit different. Uh, we have uh, a, a a lady on the show by the name of Jessie Greger. Uh, I ran into Jessie or met her online. She owns a company called Next Mile Meals. And if you've ever heard me kind of talk about you know fitness or being healthy or whatever, you know I follow a, a pretty regimented keto keto diet for the most part. You know I go in and out of uh, following that diet depending on <clears throat> how, how uh, much leeway I'm giving myself at, at, at the moment. Um, but by and large, that's the that's the diet that I follow. And one of the biggest struggles for me whenever I was doing the elk hunt uh, two years ago, and just in general, whenever I'm doing travel hunts, whether I'm going to Ohio for you know a week and a half or whatever it is, or when I go to Iowa this year, hopefully knock on wood that I did I draw a tag, um, the, one of the challenges for me is really kind of making sure that I have enough food and the, the types of food that I like to eat um, that my body performs well on. Um, and so she had a similar challenge as she was uh, hiking the, the Pacific Coast Trail, I think it's called, or the Pacific Pacific something trail, PCT. Uh, it's, it's two, over 2000 miles from, uh, Mexico into, into Canada. Um, it's called through hiking and Jesse actually did this and she's been, you know, she's followed a keto diet for a very long time and she wanted to try to do this, um, trail on nothing but a keto diet, which a lot of people kind of scoffed at her for that because, you know, the, the old, you know, kind of, a I I guess, you know, Common knowledge or myth is that, you know, you kind of load up on carbs and sugars and stuff like that. And that's a lot of, you know, if you look at your buddies or even if you look in your pack when you go out to hunt, you know, how often is it a candy bar or a cliff bar or something that has carbs or sugars in it? Because we think the idea is that we need to have those things in order to perform or to have the the requisite energy that we need to do what we want to do. And so she kind of took that as a challenge and wanted to do the entire trail on keto. And she made it. Not only did she make it, but she was actually eating food that tasted better than packaged candy bars and processed food. Uh, But her body actually was performing better because it was being given the fuel that it actually needed to perform at an optimum level over the course of, you know, many months. I I don't remember exactly how many months it took her. I want to say it's probably close to three, maybe a little bit more than three months to hike that entire trail. Um, so coming back from this hike, you know, she realized that there was a need out there for hikers that are going to do these long hikes that maybe want a healthier option. So she started Next Mile Meals. Um, kind of fortuitously, you know, there's an opportunity in the outdoor space with uh, backcountry hunting specifically or travel hunting, um, you know, where folks maybe want to have that same kind of quality of meal um, during those experiences as well. And so I thought it'd be cool to have Jesse come on and kind of talk about her experience of being in the backcountry because she's um, very adept at being in the backcountry, uh, you know, kind of, you know, solo and, and, and left her own devices to kind of make it through. And then she did it in a very healthy way, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I thought, it, you know, especially with elk season approaching here in September for any of you out there going to do a backcountry hunt that wants you know, a healthier option, you know, you might be interested to see what Jesse has to say and you might want to, might want to check out some of her products as well. So without further ado, we will get Jesse on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. So today we're doing a, a little bit of a different take on the show. Uh, this is a person who I, um, I guess, found out about through through Instagram. And uh, she owns a company that is called Next Mile Meals. Uh, but where I really kind of found out about her was on her recent uh, Pacific Coast Trail, I think is what it's called, hike, which is extremely long. It's For those of us uh, East Coasters or Flatlanders, uh, we would probably more think of that as the Appalachian Trail hike. It would be something similar to that, uh, probably a little bit more elevation change. But we'll we'll talk to her about those types of things. But before we jump into all that, I want to introduce Jesse Greger from Next Mile Meals. How are you?
2: Doing well? How are
1: you doing? I'm doing good. So I know you just flew back in from the East Coast. So let me ask you and and be honest. How, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you miss Pennsylvania versus California?
2: Oh man, that's an unfair comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, all I'll say is I moved to California for a reason. I I miss I miss winters. I miss the fall and the leaf changing. But California, man, the weather here—you can't beat it.
1: Yeah, I know. It's one of those things where. So my my sister in law actually lives in California. She's a professor in a. At Scripps University in LA, um, and so she tends to rub in the, uh, the the nice weather when we are having poor weather. I, I did spend a little bit of time in LA. I was at a I was uh, recording. I was in a band, so I was in a, in LA recording for a couple weeks at one point, point. and I could definitely get used to the the weather because at that time I was living in Orlando, which was just like oppressively hot. And uh, <laughs> California, it's like you still get the sunshine, but you get the the weather that's not like so nasty that you can't go outside. So definitely jealous of your uh of of your fortunate um weather i guess as we'll refer to it
2: yeah for sure i live in san francisco so it's a little foggier than la but we have driving access to the sierras and the cascades so i I really love it out here
1: yeah that's kind of the best of both worlds man because you have you have the, the beaches well i mean you're close to the beach regardless of where you're at typically right
2: uh, well, so California is a huge state, so there's certainly areas like in and living in Pennsylvania that I had access to water much more so than say hmm. the eastern area of California. But um, San Francisco, yeah, you know, we joke that you can go surfing and skiing in the same day if you really wanted to.
1: Nice, yeah, that's not too that's not too bad. I'm getting old old enough to the point now to I try to leave the skiing aside for fear of yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for fear of like some type of bodily harm that might in, in, impede my ability to have gainful employment. So I usually <laughs> stay away from the I snowboard. And so I think we moved back from Orlando and I did a snowboarding trip or not a snowboarding trip. I guess I I just went to like some of the local mountains. I grew up snowboarding and, uh, I gave myself two concussions like the, in, in one (gasps) day or no, I gave myself what would probably equate to like, you know, uh, brain shakers, two of them in one day. And that was kind of the, I was like, yeah, you know what? I was like, probably, uh, probably ought to stop this now. I was like, you know, (laughs) It's like I'm not as uh, limber and as uh, able to recorrect in the air as I once was, so we should probably yeah. leave that to the to the yo- to the younger folks. Well, because I, I only have one speed, right? It's like it's all in or, <laughs> all or nothing, you know. And so I hadn't snowboarded it's called gravity. And, yeah, <laughs> it is called gravity. Nine point six, I think, is the actual like, measurement. Um, I I'd, I had gone to Colorado with a buddy of mine, and we did like a week long snowboarding trip. And this was like a couple years after I moved back, I moved back to Pennsylvania a couple years after. And so maybe two years after I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, I snowboarded Colorado and it was fine. I was like, and those are huge mountains in comparison, you know, I was like, so I was like, PA is like, I got this. I'm good. So of course I went by myself and, you know, I used to, you know, snowboard the half pipe and like the skate park and stuff like that. Whenever I was younger. And so I decided, like, instead of taking any practice runs, I was just going to jump right into like the the, the <laughs> snowboard park and, and start sliding rails and hitting some big kickers and stuff like that. And so, oh, the
2: confidence of youth. <laughs> oh yeah, and
1: like the first couple things I landed weren't weren't really tough. That were at the beginning of the run, and so I was like, oh man, this is like riding a bike. And so I hit a, uh, I hit the next kicker, and you know the you should always kind of take a stroll through to see what the course looks like. And I didn't do that. And so when I hit this kicker, it's like it launched me. But then I, I failed to realize that there was like a drop on the mountain on the other side. So it's like whatever your elevation was, plus whatever the, the decline mm-hmm. was beneath you. And it was a little more than I had accounted for and it hurt. So we'll just oh. leave, we'll just leave it at that.
2: <laughs> it sounds like you're making smarter life decisions now. <laughs> I am.
1: I am it, probably because of my wife and my daughter. I would say those are probably the reasons I make smarter decisions. They make them for me. How, how's that? I think that's probably how See, it
2: happens. The women in your life, you gotta listen to them.
1: That's right. If it's, if it weren't for them, I probably would no longer be here. But that's a, <laughs> for a story for another time. But uh, anyway, so we're 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 doing a nice catch up, and I'm already enjoying talking to you. But for those of <laughs> Uh, folks out there listening that maybe don't know who you are don't know what next mile meals is if you wouldn't mind just give me a little bit of background about where you're from and what you do for a living
2: absolutely so uh yeah i'm jesse i grew up in uh, pennsylvania Um doing a lot of you know hiking and, and trail running and that sort of stuff but um when i i'm now 30 oh god i'm i 33 and so i know my birthday just caught up to me real fast um <laughs> And so later in life, so when I was 30, 31, when I in 2017, I decided to quit my desk job. I was working in tech in Silicon Valley here in the Bay Area, and I quit my job and I decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, the PCT. Uh, this trail is 2,600 plus miles from Mexico to Canada, through one of the hardest ways possible. So you're not you're not walking on paved roads. You're hiking through the Sierra Nevadas and the Cascades and all the way up through you know California, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, and it takes about five months and you're just, you're getting there on your own, your own power. And I decided that this was somehow a fun thing to go do. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so in 2017, I did that, which is not a unique story. Um, there's a uh, usually about a couple thousand permits issued each year for this. And a couple hundred hikers do complete it, um, year after year. But what made my story a bit different and the reason why I'm talking to you today is I did it ketogenically, uh, which to my knowledge had never been done before I did it. And I say, I'm pretty sure that, you know, that it had never been done to my knowledge. Cause I I searched high and low for, Mm -hmm. for any help. I was looking for, you know, any, any recipes or guidance because I thought, okay, well, I know how to backpack. I know how to hike. I know how to camp, but food is always hard because you walk into, you know, your, your outdoor gear fitter and you find all these meals that are just packed with carbs and rice. And, you know, you don't really feel super awesome at the end of a long day. Um, but, When you're ketogenic, uh, you don't eat carbs or you eat very low carbs. So you eat very um, protein heavy, fat heavy meals and your body switches into a different state of fuel burning, which is fantastic. Like I felt awesome. I had been doing it for years. I knew I wanted to try to maintain this diet, but there was nothing out there available to me and no one had done it before. So I was like, well, cool. I guess I'm going to figure this out myself and research for a couple of weeks, months and developed my own recipes to get myself from Mexico to Canada through my own feet. <laughs> nice. And uh, I was told, you know, oh, you won't make it a hundred miles. Like there's <laughs> no way that anyone can fuel like, long-term backcountry hiking and that sort of thing or adventures just on a, on a, on a fat fuel diet. Uh, and so I went in going, all right, well, if I make it a week, <laughs> that'll be great. <laughs> and then five months later I walked into Canada and I'd stayed ketogenic and I felt amazing. And I saw benefits over some of the other hikers that I was talking to. Uh, so I got home feeling pretty good about myself and and all that. And I opened up my email and, and a website and there was thousands of people asking, you know, how can we also do this? We've been meaning to find a way. And this is before keto was really popular. Mm-hmm. You know, this past year it's seen a, a huge upswing. Uh, and so, yeah, so I decided to start a company kind of accidentally. Um, I did, certainly didn't start hiking for any reason other than it was a cool thing to go do. And here we are two years later and Next Mile Meals now exists. And now we fuel... Oh god! Hundreds and thousands of other hikers and hunters and just backpackers and outdoor adventurers in general um, on their own, either keto adventures or sometimes people just want a healthier option than than the than the high sodium, mm-hmm. you know, insert pasta and insert random sauce here package they find in their in their nearby um, stores. So here we are, and here I am talking to you.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's uh, it's a uh, it's interesting that you you know that people kind of doubted you, right? Because I started. I, we have talked about this late, right before we started recording, but I kind of had a similar, um, I guess, experience as you in terms of the challenge of trying to find a way to stay healthy while I was off off grid um, to a degree. You know, I was getting ready for a Western hunt, and that was kind of when I switched my diet to to keto because I just wasn't getting the results. I wasn't feeling great because I, I kind of made a slow transition. I guess I should say, like my my daughter, because of a, a health condition that she has. Like she it was, you know, suggested that she was gluten-free and so my wife and I kind of were gluten-free already so we just kind of adopted that with her and then we decided to start kind of eating paleo and we ate paleo and we felt even better right and so it was like and then we kind of found the keto diet it's
2: slippery slope isn't it yeah it is
1: it is like well it, it's interesting because you start to feel better as you go and so then we were like you know what that's you know she kind of I don't remember exactly how she found out about it It was probably in a magazine that she reads and you know, and so she you know got a book from the library I think and started reading up on it and stuff like that and so we you know, she was really learning about it and kind of, you know, informing me. And so we started eating, you know, a ketogenic diet. And as at the same time, I was preparing and kind of training to get ready to go out on this, you know, backpack DIY, you know, Western elk hunt. And the biggest challenge was, was that there weren't exactly what you said. There were really no options available for me to kind of try to stay ketogenic while I was in the back country. You know, and the best that I could really do, it's like as I tried to piece together like small packages of things I could take and just throw in like a Tupperware container, throw in my backpack. That would be as close to staying keto as I possibly could be while getting enough calories in me that I would need to burn while I was hiking, whatever it was, 15 miles a day, you know, through however much elevation, you know what I mean? Um, and so whenever I stumbled a- across you, I was like, sweet. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Because, I mean, there's a lot of, in the hunting space, there's a few different options for different types of meals, but there's nothing for, like, I've looked at all the different options, and I'm like, well, if I want to go off the reservation for two weeks and, you know, and consume some of the stuff that I don't typically consume, I can, but I was like, I know I'm not going to feel as good, but in the interest of packability and stuff, maybe that's my solution. So, when I found you, I was like, you know the prayers have been answered, so to speak, that I have a, a keto, a keto, um, uh, source for, you know, for, for my backcountry and my kind of adventure needs. But, you know, I, I want to back up before we kind of get into all the keto stuff. So what got you into, to backpacking and why specific? Cause, you know, as you said, it's thinking like, Hey, I'm going to walk from Mexico to Canada on my own two feet is probably not a normal thought most people have. So I'm just curious what kind of was the, uh, I guess the precipice for, for launching into that.
2: Yeah. So, man everyone's either read or seen like wild or you know um what's the other word like in, is it into the woods um into the wild i think it's, yeah so yes. those are all like those are all in people's minds generally most people are at least aware of those sort of treks and mm. i had been vaguely aware it definitely wasn't on my radar as like you know growing up i'm gonna one day walk 2,000 plus miles um it's definitely not a thing a child says but uh having lived out here and sort of you know had been hiking and backpacking, you know, three day weekends here and there, um, all, all, you know, through my adult life and then did the, uh, Wonderland trail around Mm -hmm. Mount Rainier. And that was sort of the longest trail I had ever done to that point. And it's, it's, it took us about nine nine days. We did it pretty slow. Uh, and it it was around base Mount Rainier and it's just beautiful. And of course it's also Pacific Northwest (laughs) weather. So it rained on us like the entire time, (laughs) but when the rain parted and you would see this like magical mountain in the background and the just the feeling of being really far away from everything that you know is is technologically advanced about us so there's no computers there's no wi-fi there's no cell service like there's there is nothing to to call to your attention other than just putting your feet right in front of each other like it was a very simple way of living a week and i fell in love with long distance treks in that mm. moment and certainly you know a week nine days wasn't a long distance track by any stretch but i wanted more of that i wanted my days for for a little bit to just consist of you know s- setting up camp going to sleep, waking up, making coffee, tearing down the tent, and then just start walking again. It was such a simple process. And so, you know, everyone's, you know, if you're familiar with Wild or the other, the other books that sort of glamorize the the long distance treks. I certainly wasn't doing it for some like find yourself moment like that. I knew who I am. I know I like who I am. Like there wasn't this like, you know, soul seeking journey. I just thought it was a really great thing to do. And I'm, I'm very much an extremist in certain ways of like be having an obsessive personality. So I was like, well, I, I already like to hike. What is like the most hiking a person can do? <laughs> right. like, this, is, this is just the extreme version of a thing I already like to do. Man, if there was like back when I was eating carbs, if there was like an ice cream eating contest, I probably would have tried to enter it. Like there was just right. sort of a like, what is the thing I love to do and how can I just do more of it right. um, until generally you burn yourself out, like listening to your favorite song a hundred times in a row. Right. And so hiking just never was that for me. I never got tired. Tired of it, so the PCT was nearby-ish. It was it was in my hood. Maybe if I had still been living on the East Coast, I would have tried the Appalachian Trail. Although that was a bit more town-centric, and I really Mm -hmm. loved the remoteness of of the PCT. And the third one is the CDT, the Continental Divide Trail, which goes through the Colorado Rockies. And so that was a little less traveled. So I figured the PCT was a great middle ground. Uh, So yeah, so. I, my friend and I both got permits and I told him I was like, ah, I'm not going to do it. I, I have this job and I like this job and it's going to be fine. And then the job, you know, took a turn and I was like, oh, I'm not happy here anymore. <laughs> and I'm really sick of sitting at a desk typing all day. Um, and so I kind of quit on the spot. And my my boss high fived me across the table when I told him what I was going to go do.
1: <laughs> and
2: Two, three weeks later, I was flying down to San Diego to hit the beginning of that trail. And, and the rest is history.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. The, the, yeah, it's interesting that you, you mentioned just like the idea of putting, you know, one foot in front of the other and like the whole idea of disconnecting because it's uh, it, and I like the fact that you said like it wasn't like a find yourself moment because I think a lot of times people kind of overstate some of that. I know that it's tremendously helpful for some people, whether it's hunting, hiking, whatever. It's like they do use that for those type of therapeutic i won't say therapeutic i'll say trying to discover something that they haven't mm-hmm. discovered yet which is you know awesome if they can do that and i'm kind of in the same boat as you where it's like i pretty much know who i am i'm comfortable with who i am i like who i am but there's definitely that need to disconnect and just kind of not be bothered you know what i mean it's it's a little bit of that you know um you know i guess what the new the new agey thing to call it is forest bathing i guess maybe might be yeah. a, a way to call it you know what i mean um I'm just curious, though, because knowing that, like, you enjoy that kind of, um, I don't want to say meditative, but it, I guess it can be as, like, you're just kind of, like, putting in the miles and you're trudging and you're just kind of letting, letting your thoughts wander. I started doing um, uh, sensory tank deprivation, like, sessions mm-hmm. for that. Have you ever tried anything like that?
2: No, no. I, I For me, it's not so much sensory deprivation or the idea of, like, you know, quieting the noise. It's... Mm-hmm. I mean, there was. I was certainly listening to music and podcasts the entire time I was hiking. At one point, my phone broke, and I like looked at it. it like I dropped it in a grocery store in a town, and I, I mailed it back to my to my boyfriend to fix it and, and send it back to me. But there would be at least a week with no cell phone, and like, what do you do with no cell phone? Uh, and so, without you know, when you're hiking that long, for me, like, I wanted to listen to music. I wanted to listen to podcasts, and of course, like that was right when I went through like a really terrible stretch um, of just brutally hot through the. desert desert like no cover like sun's being down on you and all my hiker buddies at the time like were like all right i guess it's time to just trudge through these miles and they put their headphones in and started walking and i was just like no i have no distraction <laughs> there's just pain there's nothing but pain um and so for me it's not so much a like a meditative state it's just it's more of like the reward at the end of the day there are right. certain places on this earth that you can only get to like by foot through hiking. Mm -hmm. And so I look at some of these cars that have like, you know, this car climbed Mount, whatever. And I'm like, that's just terrible. Like walk, like get out, hike to the top of a really tall thing, look out from that peak, appreciate it in that moment, and then keep moving to the next tall thing. And so for me, it's, it's more of that. It's more, it's less of the, the journey and like the meditative state of it and more of the like you got to see a thing that so few people on this earth got to experience and and like just take a moment at the top of that mountain just appreciate it and then like find the next one
1: yeah no 100% agree agree with you there man cuz there's been a few moments i guess that i was you know fortunate enough to kind of have in the outdoors that were that were like that where for me it's been more um i went to alaska and did and did a hunt there for it was nearly 2 weeks and i was hunting some areas that were relatively remote not as remote as some right but it was pretty off the grid um you could only get there by pontoon plane and ferry essentially Mm -hmm. um and there were places where i was walking where it's like i just kind of looked around and i was like you know there's a possibility that i'm the only human that has ever walked here before you know what i mean it was that Mm -hmm. sense of like making me feel that small which felt really good in certain ways you know what i mean um And then same thing whenever I was out West in Montana, I was just kind of like, I'm a history buff, history nerd. Um, and so thinking about what those mountains had seen like hundreds of years ago, what must've happened there and like the scenes that might've played out and stuff like that. And so I get kind of caught up in those types of things or some of the things I think about, which are, you know, same thing that you're saying. It's like just some places you can only get to by, by, by foot and they're better off for it and you're better off for getting there by that, you know, that way. Um, so but, you know for folks that are listening that might be like you know they're hearing us talk about the ketogenic diet and so forth and um and they maybe they don't know what it is or they're not familiar or they have like a basic working knowledge of it could you just kind of lay out like the the keto 101 like the intro to ke- keto diet kind of uh uh I guess uh, syllabus if you will yeah. um, just so people kind of know what we're referring to when we're when we're talking about it
2: Sure. So the first thing I always say is one, I'm not a doctor. I've talked to a bunch of doctors and I've been doing keto for, I guess, about 10, 15 years now, but it's certainly a, you know, choose your own adventure, hike your own hike, like talk to your doctor before you do any of this. And I'm not evangelical about it. I don't, Mm. I don't preach that this is the one true way of eating. So if it works for you, great. And you should explore more information. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just informationally, uh, a ketogenic diet in its most like simplistic form is um, any diet that restricts the carbs low enough that you enter a state of ketosis, which means you're no longer burning simple sugars as fuel or glucose, but you're burning uh, your direct fat supply and your dietary fat, so you're burning ketones. Um, that's it. A lot of people try to add complications to it, like, well, you can't have soy, you can't have gluten, you can't have all these other things. Like, No, technically speaking, if you wanna eat a tablespoon of sugar a day and that keeps you below that threshold of you burning ketones, then like that's a, that's a ketogenic diet. For most people, what it actually means though is go is a fairly healthy balanced diet of uh, balancing your your macros your fats your proteins um and your carbs and so for me it's salads and vegetables and healthy healthy fats and butters and creams, um, proteins, animal fats. Uh, And so it's just a matter of making sure that you have measured for your body what that threshold for carbohydrates is before your body turns those into sugar. For me, uh, on a typical day when I'm sitting in front of a computer, that might be 20 net carbs. That's pretty low. I think Mm -hmm. it's like two pieces of bread. I don't actually eat bread. I'd rather use those carbs for vegetables and leafy greens. Um, But figuring out where that threshold is while i was hiking it was a bit higher it was 30 or 40 net carbs some people can get away with 50 net carbs uh, it's all about listening to your body, tracking your food, figuring out where that threshold is um, until you get into ketosis. And once you're in ketosis, that's the fun part. Once you're, once you're fat adapted and you go through the first week or so of adaptation when your body tries to refigure out where is it going to get its energy from, that first week they call it the keto flu because mm-hmm. you're depriving your body of sugar and you're going to go through a little bit of withdrawal. And so you end up with headaches sometimes. But the I've always enjoyed, you the keto flu because it's a reminder of like, oh, I've been eating terribly yeah. <laughs> and I, I need to, I need to get back on this train because the light at the end of the tunnel is amazing. When you finally switch over into ketosis after about six or seven days, the mental clarity is fantastic. And I wake up with the sun and my energy levels go through the roof. And I, I already talk really fast, but man, when I'm like in ketosis and like, you know, kind of plugging away all cylinders and like I took a mile a minute much faster, um, <laughs> But it's just sort of like this it just feels good it's not just a weight loss tool like there's uh, both my my partner and i he and i both do keto um year round and neither neither he nor i really are in a state of like neither of us are overweight or obese but we enjoy being um ketogenic because we just feel better doing it and for backcountry activities it's a more sustained level of energy um I'm not a mechanic, but I liken it to the metaphor of, you know, switching from a gasoline to a diesel engine. Like the diesel engine might take a little while to warm up, but it's a more steady state of energy. And your body's just going to figure out how to adapt between those two. And that transition points, um, a little challenging at times, but once you're in that other state, it's just, it's just easy and it just feels good. And you get to eat bacon and like fried, you know, greens and all that. So it's, it's a, it's a great way to eat. You don't get to deprive yourself. Um, and yeah, I, I love it. I, and I I always recommend it to my friends who want to at least try it. I would say it's a good experience to at least recognize what your body's gotten used to and try to break that habit.
1: Yeah. I, I I will say I'm a fan of bacon, like anything, you know, it's (laughs) a, yeah. But uh, in all seriousness, it's like when I jumped on and started doing it, I definitely had the keto flu for probably like a week, you know, where I felt really bad. The second week I just kind of felt weak. You know, I didn't feel sick. I didn't have a headache anymore. I just was like, I had a concern for you know, like probably like a week or so where I was like, man, I just didn't feel like I had the strength that I had at one point. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. that all, that all kind of came back to me. And that might just been a unique experience that I, that I had cause I, I really don't know very many other people that eat the the way I eat. Um, so I really, and it was just my wife and I doing it. Like we were the only, I didn't know anyone else who was doing it. Cause I, so I had no one to really say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling like, you know, is this normal? Or, so it was just one mm-hmm. of those things where I was just trying to figure it out as I went. But, Once I kind of got through that, I remember, and you you just had mentioned this, was the mental clarity that I got, like, immediately. It was like someone had lifted a fog off of my head. It was, like, it was unreal. Like, I had, my wife had told me about it, like, just, like, through her reading and stuff like that. and, And when it happened, it was like someone hit a light switch. And it was like I was on point. Like, things that I had trouble remembering before or just, like sharpness at work you know what i mean like you know dealing with like a strategy pitch deck or whatever it's like you know whenever i needed to come up with like whatever the strategy was going to be and i need to remember some type of insight that i read from some you know study or whatever it's like it was on recall like i had it um mm-hmm. which was uh pretty amazing and then you know, fast forwarding to the back country, you know, situation, it was just, I just didn't get tired. I was hunting with a buddy who's from Montana, who lives in the mountains. And he was at times trying to leave me in the dust just to see how, how ready I was. And, uh, like he just, he couldn't shake me, you know what I mean? Cause I was just, <laughs> the, the body was just ready to go the way I, could, I I love the analogy that you gave to like gasoline to, to diesel. It's just, um, I think that that's just a, a great analogy because the way I look at it is that, and I think you mentioned this when we first started talking too is that people were like you won't make it you know 10 days or whatever it was but it's like and you can correct me if I'm wrong cuz I'm a novice when it comes to this stuff like I feel like it's and I actually heard a doctor on Joe Rogan kind of talking about this cuz he actually trains some triathletes and long distance runners with the in like a ketogenic way like he gets them into ketosis at times and kind of rotates them in and out during their training um and he actually I think recommends for and he's like new this is like a new thing that he's doing. I think he might have actually even train some Olympic athletes, like Olympic like distance runners and stuff, um, where that that diet is actually more beneficial to a endurance athlete um, than than carb loading because their body is going to quickly burn through that glycogen and then immediately go into that oh shit oh shit oh shit I don't have any more energy where's mm-hmm. it at where's it at where's it at you know the way he kind of likened it was is like when you're watching an MMA fight, he was like, and you can see when guys hit the wall and they and their glycogen storage is gone because their brain is they just look like they're in a like a fog like they're just not moving like they were the previous round and he was like it's because their body's trying to figure out where the energy is supposed to come from and it might take them a round or so for their body to kind of like recalibrate and they're not recalibrating to burn fat necessarily that quickly per se, but that's like the quote unquote second wind you know what I mean that yeah kind of yeah. happens um. And what he was saying was, is that for anyone doing distance, like ketogenic or endurance, ketogenic is kind of the way to go. He said now it'd be hard for like an MMA player or, or a fighter or a football player or something that, who needs explosive energy that, you know, where like you're going to have that high glycogen output. And the only way you're going to get that consistently is to have glycogen to do it. He's like, that makes sense. He's like, but you could train in a keto kind of way and map your diet in a way that you have the right glycogen levels that you need at the right times. Uh, which I thought was interesting because knowing what I know now, it's like, I would look at that and go like, no, actually the glycogen route actually is the the worst route to go. If you want, (laughs) if if you want long-term energy, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's the, it's the coal or oil, I guess, of our, of the the eating world. Um, but I, you know, talking about that, like what was your calorie burn like on that trail on the trail, uh, um, hike and how challenging was it to make sure you were getting enough calories?
2: Yeah. I mean, first, like to speak to the, to the burst energy that you just mentioned, Mm -hmm. uh, like this is, everyone always asks me, well, you started hiking with a friend, like what what happened because I ended up hiking much of it alone and ended up meeting a, a very different what we call a trail family later mm-hmm. on, a group that I ended up hiking with. Um, but that friend and I parted ways about 10 days in and the reason was this exact thing, it's this burst energy. So like hiker diets, especially through hiker diets, are essentially they're, they're just calories. They're just mm-hmm. like how many calories can I fit in my day? Cause you're burning six, seven thousand calories in a given day. And there's no way you can carry enough on your back to make to, to actually meet those needs. And so you always end up kind of running a deficit. And so for, for me, I was like, well, I'm going to supplement this with healthy fats. So macadamia nuts and olive oils and heavy creams in my coffee. My coffee in the morning was a 500 calorie, 500 calorie, calorie treat every day. So (laughs) that, that in and of itself was like this huge caloric bump. Um, but other hikers, man, they could put Snickers out of business. Like they are just candy bars and, and, uh, ramen noodles and dehydrated potatoes. And it's just like, it's, it's like a fifth grader on a school bus got to design their own menu back then with like no mom to watch what they were eating. Like that's what the menu of a through hiker looks like. And so my hiking partner was following the the conventional wisdom, which is every day was like three or four Snickers bars. And then there were peanut butter cups and peanut butter M&Ms. And, um, it was just carb and sugar and carb and sugar. And what would happen is we'd wake up and I would wake up earlier than him because I'd be ready to go when the sun came up. Mm -hmm. And we'd start hiking and he was faster than I was. I will never, ever claim to have been the fastest hiker um, uh, of the people that I was hiking with. I certainly wasn't, but I was steady. And so he, he would start hiking and he would, you know, plow up these mountains with an incredible speed and force. And then I would find him at the top, like out of breath and tired and with a candy bar in his mouth right trying to like refuel for the for the next hill and i'd be like hey how's it going and i would just keep hiking and so we kept leapfrogging each other and it got to the point where he wanted to stop earlier often and i i still had a couple extra hours of energy every night and eventually i was like you know what i i think this is where we part ways i think this is where i keep hiking and i'll maybe see you down the trail i don't know right <laughs> um, and so so we ended up parting ways and i ended up like being able to push through you know 30 35 miles a day without problems um and it was because of because of keto, because the the fuel sources you have allow you to keep a better caloric base. And so I think my daily, you know, to answer your, your last question, I think my daily intake was around 4,000 calories a day, hmm. um, but I was probably burning five or six. I mean, right. I'm not a I'm not a, a tiny lady, but I'm, I'm pretty average and I'm definitely not, you know, as much as like the larger guys that are on trail, they were, Oh my gosh, they would walk into a town and house like five or six burgers and French fries in one sitting. Right. Cause your, your, your body is just burning this, you know, constant deficit. And so the moment you enter town, it's, for a lot of people, it's this like stock up time. Right. And it certainly was for me too. In the beginning, while I was hiking with this wonderful, like level set of energy, I would reach town and my body was like, you know what you really should do? You should sit down with a spoon and a jar of peanut butter and eat that entire thing in one sitting. <laughs> and after I, I did that, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm not getting enough fat in my diet. Right. And so I, I, you know, started adding more oils and more other healthy fats that so wasn't just peanut butter in a spoon. Um, but it's just, you know, you can never, you're, you're never are gonna have enough um calories in your given day to be able to to meet that deficit. So a lot of a lot of men finish the trail looking very emaciated mm. and skeleton like. If you Google before and after through hiker, it's some horrifying transformations. Yeah. Um women's bodies do something a little differently. Like our bodies are designed, you know, for better or for worse. They're like, you must always be able to have children. And I say this as a lady that doesn't have children. Right. Um, but our body, you know, um, hormone wise and just makeup wise, we'll try to cling to every piece of fat. If you, if you, you know, your wife or any other women in your life have ever tried to lose weight and they've had more difficulty doing so it's partly that it's, it's our body wants to cling to whatever calories we can. So we don't lose that weight. So women end up finishing the trail, looking more, we kind of joke like Greek gods and goddesses. We look right. for more toned and, and healthier fat balance. Our fat, you know, our fat percentage stays pretty high. Um, so, but it's, it's not a matter of the calories and calories out. It's, it's like, are you eating dense enough food that you can pack in your pack without breaking everything? Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, 4,000 calories a day was what I was, um, averaging. I think on a, on a weekend trip, I would probably stay closer to two or, you know, 2,500 calories. But um for that kind of hike, you're just, you're, you're, you're in a fat fuel burning machine at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know when, it, when I was doing that pack country hunt, it was, I think what I would take in my pack with me was, and I don't know exactly how many calories I was burning, but I tried, I think I got it to where I had like around 2,000 to 2,500 calories and like in this little container I could take. Like that's what basically I could fit in. It, it was a lot of the stuff you're talking about. It was nuts. It was almond butter. It was, I did take some like packaged chicken along and stuff like that. Um, which was enough to get me through my, like the day, essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. The good thing was, was that, or the one thing that I found was just, you know, once I got into ketosis or whatever and was, you know, living that lifestyle, I wasn't hungry nearly as often. I was able to Mm -hmm. sustain for a lot longer period of time. And the whole idea of like guys' bodies kind of, you know, shedding that stuff much more quickly. Like I came back from that hunt in Montana and I think I weighed, 145 pounds at that point <laughs> like like I was pretty like I hadn't weighed that since I was probably like a junior in high school or something like that you know so I came back and like I looked I was like you know I was like oh man I'd stay this weight for the rest of my life it'd be great I' look great you know it was like <laughs> you could see every muscle or whatever no yeah. granted I think when I left I was probably at about 155 pounds roughly because I've trained pretty well like in ready in order to get ready to go out there but it's still I didn't have a whole lot to lose when I got there and I still managed to drop like another 10 pounds while I was there just from the, you know, calorie deficit that you're talking about. Um, I want to talk, I want to ask you, you know, cause I, I always struggle with, with this on some of these trips and some of the, the, the hunts that I've done that have been kind of remote hunts is, you know, is getting stuff ready to eat for myself. So before you had next mile meals, right, what was the process for you for preparing what you were going to eat on, on trail?
2: Oh, so I think I did my very first ketogenic hike, just a three-day weekender, about two years before that, so 2015, and I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I tried dehydrating like eggplant and ground beef, and it was just tough and rubbery. And so um, my go-tos at that point for weekend hikes was... Um, packaged meats. It was packets of spam and packets of tuna um, and spam. Let me tell you, I I had spam in my pack um, as my lunches. So I would have a, my next mile meals as my dinner, but I would have lunches as spam on like a low carb wrap. And they were like delicious and salty and low carb. And I, I remember telling my boyfriend, like, cause he was my resupply partner. So he's at home keeping track of how many things need to go in each one of my resupply boxes. And I was like, keep sending spam. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and then I got to the Oregon border. So I guess it was about two, three months in. And I was like, never send me spam ever again. I can't, (laughs) I can't deal with this anymore. So, um, there's, our, our our options were very limited. And so my, um, and we have this on our website. Our website is not just a place to buy meals, but we also try to be a resource to other hikers, whether or not you're keto or whether you're just looking for like healthier backcountry options. Like there's blog posts and we tell you like, go to a grocery store and here are the things you can buy in a grocery store that can help you on your keto hike or your healthier hike. And so there's things like which nuts are the best ones. And, you know, like you said, almond butter, almond butter is great peanut butter actually isn't that great. It actually has a lot of sugar in it. And so, you know, having gone through the trial and error of all that, um, having coffee in the morning, or if you're not a coffee drinker, maybe tea or a protein shake. I'm just putting a bunch of heavy cream powder and MCT powder, if your stomach can handle it, just to make that in and of itself like a, a calorie source. It's just all about finding what dehydrated or lightweight sources. Um, and then the other one, my go-to, and this is true of not just keto hikers but just general through hikers, is a little bottle of olive oil or avocado oil. Um, I prefer to pack mine into um, you know those little like Johnson's Johnson's baby oils you can buy at the travel section of your like local drugstore, empty it out, clean it out really well. It's tiny, filled up with um, olive oil, and it's meant to make olive, uh, meant to make oil leak proof. And so you can throw mm-hmm. it in your bag and now you have you know, some healthy healthy oils to throw on each one of your meals to bump up those calories in a, a nice ketogenic and, and carb free way. Um so yeah, it's 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 hard. It's it's difficult to occasionally do keto in the front country. And it's even harder to do it in the back country. We eat a lot of fresh veggies and fresh meats and you can't really just, you know, pack a T-bone steak onto your back. I mean I guess you could <laughs> if you really wanted to. Um and and there's so many different levels of Backcountry eating, so there's there's not just you know camping with a grill, and then there's you know freeze dried and dehydrated meals, but then there's also like cold soak, and we haven't even like begun to process what like no cook looks like. Is there a way for you know anything we produce or any of our meals to be made without a stove? And like we're just not there yet. And so, you know, keto will always kind of be a couple steps behind the conventional processes that are out there, but. Um, there, there are ways to do keto in the backcountry. It's difficult, but it's worth it, man. It's like between the mental clarity and the energy. Um, if 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 anyone's listening and, and is already thinking about doing it, try it. Make sure you're keto adapted, but like, it's worth it. It's worth the extra
1: effort. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like I, I, I make. Uh... I give myself holidays as I refer to them, you know, if there's like a birthday or a special occasion where I'll go off, off the reservation, you know, and have whatever I want to eat, whatever I want to drink. And then I know, but the thing is, is I know full well, I'm going to pay for it. And oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I feel terrible right after I do it pretty much. And then all my workouts after that are sluggish until I kind of get back into a good place. And then when mm-hmm. I'm in that good place, I'm always like, why would I ever get out of this? Because I just, <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like,
2: and then Easter rolls around and Reese's peanut butter cups yeah. makes their eggs. You go, well, I guess I could have I those.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, it's like, I think Joe Rogan puts it as, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what people will give up for just a little bit of mouth pleasure, you know, which is, which is, Uh, which is interesting. our
2: Our brains are, are, are stupid creatures and we want instant gratification. And despite the fact that we logically know that fat is a better source of fuel, our brains are, are lazy and they know that sugar is the easiest way. And so they will, you know, our brain will see, uh, Reese's peanut butter cup or a pancake and it'll go that I want that give me that and it's just constant battle sometimes to like override this you know lizard brain part of yourself and and say like no I'm going to do what's right by my body and I feel better when I don't have that Uh, and I had the same uh, policy as you, which was, you know, I didn't want to eat carbs on trail, but I said, you know, if something is a memorable experience, not just mm-hmm. a, like this would taste good, but if it was a, like, a, like a part of the hike, I would have it. And so there was like two or three locations on trail that even I went off keto. So there's like the burgers at paradise cafe. There's, there's one of those like remote burgers that's just, Oh my gosh, it might've been the best burger I've ever had. And then there's the, um, the pancake challenge at Syed Valley where they serve you five hubcap size pancakes and you see how far you can get in. If you finish them all, um, um, your, your plates paid for. I only made it like three in, which is actually better than most people. <laughs> um, but then you immediately go, cool. That was great. I feel like trash now. And now I have to hike 20 miles.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
2: so you immediately leave town with this like belly full of sugars and starches. And then you just start hiking and man, those were the most miserable days. Yeah. Those were awful.
1: And it's, and it's crazy that, you know, I mean, the hardest thing is, is that, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but we all know that eating a better diet is better for us and there's a lot of benefits to it, right? And even when you want to make the change and say you're you're emotionally and mentally committed to making the change, like the food industry in general and uh, makes it difficult for you to be healthy even when mm-hmm. you want to and you have the intention because you cannot go to the grocery store, pick something up, look at the label and not find like, high fructose corn syrup in it, some type of like wheat germ, some type of, you know what I mean? Like it's it's some type of soy product, like it's all throughout. And it's it's baffling to me that we know what we know now about health, about sugar's impact on health and how it, you know, increases and is one of the main culprits to inflammation. And inflammation is like, I saw a statistic somewhere where it was like 80% of the chronic illness in the United States is directly derived from inflammation, which is, Predominantly caused by sugar, which yeah, like that, that statistic to me just kind of blew my mind. And we and we know that. Right. Yet we still kind of let the sugar industry kind of drive the food industry to a degree.
2: Yeah, it's cheaper. Unfortunately, our, yeah. our systems and our, our farming system especially is not set up to make vegetables and fresh produce as inexpensive as a candy bar. I can go into the store and get a candy bar for 99 cents and Apple costs me $1.50. Yeah. So there's it's just like an imbalance in the system. And there's so many subsidies and, and encouragement to to you know make sure that sugar and, and corn syrup and all these other, you know, um, high carb processes are like inexpensive and it's just—it's hard. You're constantly fighting a society that has made it acceptable to, you know, supersize your your McDonald's meal. And yeah. and so I was on a podcast, I guess about a year ago, um, with uh, with on a keto podcast. I tend to talk to um, folks like you who like share that backcountry love that I have. Mm. And then there's also the keto world, which is they understand a little bit of the struggle and and the idea of doing it and taking that diet into the backcountry is is you know it was inspirational for me and and hopefully for other people that hear that. And uh, she was very much a you know, keto's so easy, and it's amazing. And why would anybody not want to do this? And I was really blunt. and I said, keto isn't easy. But doing right by your body isn't always easy. I yeah. could say I go to the gym every day, but that's, it's hard. It's hard yeah. for a lot of people and yep. it can be the right thing and still be difficult and that's still okay. And she just was not having it. She's like, no, keto is <laughs> so easy. And I'm like, Oh, we are not going to get along real well. lady."
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think with anything, there's a, there's a dose of reality, right? It's, you know, it, it's, it is, it is hard to do, right? Cause it's not ready made at the grocery store for you. I mean, you have to seek out, you know, to create your meals and stuff like that, that are going to kind of allow you to live that, that lifestyle. I think one of the other reasons why it appeals to me to, to, a degree is knowing, you know, I mean, folks that listen to this know, but it's like, I work in the health industry, right. O- overall, I work in marketing and advertising, but I work mainly in, in health and, and, uh, um, everything from like oncology to whatever the case might be I've worked in. And, and so I spent a lot of time reading studies and, and stuff like that to gain insights to help build business strategy and so forth. And so I've read a lot of these, this information kind of firsthand about, you know, chronic illness and stuff like that. And, it almost kind of like for me i grew up as a punk rocker so it almost <laughs> kind of fit into my punk rock ethos of going like you know this is what the man wants me to do <laughs> this is how they want to keep me down is by like breaking down my body so i can't fight the good fight you know <laughs>
2: keto is i like it <laughs> you know so
1: i was like so it allows me to like feel even better about myself doing keto because i'm kind of you know I'm still living the punk rock ethos at 41. So that's, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) But, but uh, I want to ask you, you know, you had plenty of naysayers. I know you you had mentioned at the beginning while you were getting ready to do your through hike. Um, I'm curious if you were able to, uh, to make any converts uh, along your way.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. So the whole reason I even launched this company was in part because, uh, of the feedback I got from other keto people out there and other just hikers and hunters that like wanted something better than what they could find. And that was, that was about half of it. But the other half was the encouragement from my fellow hikers. I would sit down at dinner and like, I don't want people to imagine that I was just like, you know, on a, on a Vanna white display and like, this is a next mile meal. And I'm making this in six months and you should totally go online and buy one. Like, no, no, I was, they're fueling myself. I was making meals for myself. There wasn't a, a marketing angle to this. And so I would sit down at dinner and I would just Make beef tacos, and I would just make my meal. And the smell—I <laughs> would have these hikers who were in full throng, you know, like hiker hunger mode, where your body is just in like eat good things. And they would come over, and be like, can I have a bite? Can, can I try? It? What are you eating there? How that looks better than what I have? Like, what what do you got there? And I'm like, oh, I just I, I made this meal. It's it's, and I've given the list of all all the ingredients. And they would just kind of like look at their um <laughs> like ramen bomb. We would like make ramen noodles, and you would put a bunch of like random things in it just to make it more you know calorie intensive. Right. And they would like. Look Look back at my meal which was like fresh bell peppers and ground beef and like cheese that was like literally melting on my spoon and they just sort of like looked sad <laughs> and a bunch of them were just like you need to start selling these like you need you need to be able to provide this like where can I buy these can I pay you money and so at some point I like had my my boyfriend Christopher I had him like send me out a couple extras for my trail family I was like they really want better food do we have extras of these and I was going faster than expected so I had some extras so I sent them out and started like handing them out, out along trail and the reviews we got were incredible. And like, there is, I stopped using through hikers as like a good source of positive reviews because they will think anything is good. Like they are just hungry. It's like, is it food? Can I, can I put it in my mouth? Like, great. Um, and so, so I, when I got home and I started like actually reaching out to some, you know, backcountry people that were going on three, four day hikes and really testing this concept. And then we got these amazing reviews. Like uh, one of the best things was we got this call and this guy who's a, a elk hunter and again, I'm, I'm still learning about like the world of backcountry hunting. It's fascinating and I'm not a part of it, but I'm learning. And he was like, I took this out on a hunt on a hunt and it was, and it was just one of those best period meal period I've ever had. And it was just like, Oh, that is like a ringing endorsement. Like, yep. I think we've got something here. So, um, so yeah, so it, it was, it was definitely like other through hikers and other people out there who were like trying it and like figuring out that like, Hey, food doesn't have to you know look like cement. Like you can, you can have it be colorful. With produce and vegetables and then and meats and proteins and healthy fats and you'll feel better for it and it just tastes better like it's just across the board like we're going backpacking this weekend and like i'm super stoked to like take my meals on the trail with me like i i say they're trail tested because like i i eat them i my friends eat them like we we walk the walker or, or hike the hike so to speak
1: right we- and I mean, in full disclosure, you know, it's like, I know prior to doing this podcast, you and I did a swap. You gave me some, uh, next mile meals to try. I sent you some coffee to try. We did a little, a little, a little trade and I was super stoked because I am like, I love anything with like uh Buffalo ranch, <laughs> like <approach. laughs> and you guys have a Buffalo ranch, uh, uh, product. And so you asked me like, what do you want? And I was like, I will take one of those. And so it, it came and I had a, a new one. I was going to eat it. Cause like Saturdays. It's like my do a bunch of stuff outside day, and I usually don't eat lunch on Saturdays really because I'm just busy, you know. So I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna save this for Saturday. I'm gonna eat it on Saturday whenever I need lunch because it'll be quick, you know, and that'll be the perfect way to kind of try it out because it's like I'm busy, I don't have a lot of time, and I just want to kind of like eat something and, and move, but I don't want it to suck, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, so I had it on a Saturday and. It was awesome. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I yeah, I give it a ringing, uh, a ringing endorsement because it's not just, it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just fuel. Like, it actually tasted good. You know what I mean? And like, I've had plenty of other backcountry pouch meals and MREs and et cetera, et cetera. That just, to your point before it's like it was just something to put in the fuel tank and that was it and Mm -hmm. not even good fuel at that but you know so i kind of want you to talk a little bit about what goes into these into these meals because like you were saying it's like there's cheese dripping off like it's like it's food like it's real food and that was like the big thing that i took away whenever i had when i had my meal was that it wasn't like i was eating some packaged meal in terms of like how it tasted the texture of it like all of it so if you wouldn't mind just kind of Give me a sense of like what all goes into this. How do you pick the products that go into it? What's the process look like? And just all those things. Yeah. So
2: uh, the biggest difference between like the the meals that we make, or even if people were to make their own is if you look at what's available on a shelf, it's, it's a very formulaic process. It's insert pasta, carbs, rice. So like, that's usually the, the bulk of a meal is really cheap uh, carbs. And then there's like maybe a tablespoon of protein. And then there's some like random sauce and so what you're really paying for is pasta. And like, I can tell you that pasta costs the manufacturer like five cents per serving. And then they turn around and sell it for like $12 in a store. Mm-hmm. And so they're just, they're raking in the dough on this like unintended, like this this markup. And so we were like, you know what? That's not what we wanna do. We're not here to, to you know, like have this multinational billion dollar business. Like this was created because I needed food for my own personal hike. And there was, there's an audience out there of diabetics and folks who treat their epilepsy with a keto diet or people just looking to eat a little bit healthier. And there are people like me who just needed a better option. So like, let's forget about the padding with the cheap carbs, like what else can we do? And so the first ingredient on every one of our meals is either meat or vegetables. Hmm. Like that's it across the board. It's either, you know, it's freshly, you know, cooked chicken or ground beef or cubed beef. Um, we, we freeze dry broccoli, which I am not a broccoli fan. And I have to say like the smell of freeze dry broccoli is incredible. Hmm. <laughs> it just smells nice. like the best like broccoli soup ever. Um, but yeah, so, so I, and the, and the I think the more fascinating thing is When I hit the trail, I was like, well, I need variety. I'm going to get bored. And clearly, as my spam incident shows, I would get (laughs) bored of certain meals starting long. One of the biggest pieces of advice they give to through hikers is do not buy all of your ingredients or all of your snacks in one go because you're going to get sick of it. Most people buy a bunch of cliff bars and they like throw out half of them because they can't eat them after, you know, mile 200. Um, And so I was really worried. so I made like six meals and I was like, all right, six different recipes. there's like beef tacos and a buffalo ranch. And then there was like a chicken and broccoli casserole. And I'm like, this is weird enough and variety enough that like, I'm not going to get bored. And I ate those six meals in rotation all the way through to the end and never got bored of them. And then those are the same six meals that we launched with. And they are the same six meals that you can buy online. And we've only changed a couple of things. Somebody requested a, a dairy free option. So we changed the cream and the coconut curry to a coconut Cream, and so there's just small tweaks here and there, but we feel pretty good about the the recipes we made, and and there really isn't that much difference between what I I hiked with and and what ended up happening, um, and what's available now. And so since then, we, we had an outcry for uh, for breakfast. <laughs> We're like, oh. Like, I'm not a big breakfast person, so, like, I'm fine with my coffee in the morning, which, by the way, your coffee was great. We, we oh, housed thanks. that real fast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: Um, and um, so, yeah, so in the morning, my coffees are usually just, you know, chock full of calories. But I'm like, all right, breakfast, like, let's figure out breakfast. And then so um, Christopher and I would sit down and we would just go through, okay, like, what— what breakfast ingredients are there? Well, we need eggs. Like, well, unfortunately, to scramble eggs and freeze dry, you need a lot of soy. So, like, how do we find a better ingredient for that? We found, like, a really great supplier of, of ground beef, and so we freeze dry that and include that. And so, yeah, we started just, like, tr- testing them, and we – we practiced essentially on ourselves for six months. We went on a bunch of backpacking trips and kayak camping trips and we like would take three or four test meals out and we'd be like, Oh, that's, let's never do that one again. Like, that, <laughs> that's, a, that's a miss. Um, right. But we found like two more recipes that we love and so do our customers. And so they've been flying off the shelves. We can barely keep them in stock. Um, yeah. And and we, we take recommendations. That's the cool thing. It's like when people email us questions or, or have feedback of any kind, they get a response from me or Christopher. Like we aren't some big company. Like it's it's two of us and we have a couple people who help us make meals in our commercial kitchen. But like we take feedback very seriously. The reason that coconut curry exists is because somebody was like, I really want a dairy-free option. And we went, Cool, let's make that for you. Nice. Uh and so it's just one of those, like, you know, Mountain House is massive and Alpine Air is massive. And like here we are <laughs> it's like, hi, like support small businesses. Um, and, and we love having that connection with, with hikers. And so, you know, we, one of the things on our, on our checkout form is like, tell us where you're going. Like, we want to hear about your adventures. And so that's how we found out about all these elk trips that were happening yeah. and these like, um, bighorn sheep hunts. And, uh, we started Googling them because we're just like, it's, it's a world we were unfamiliar with. And so many of our customers are hunters. And so we're like, well, you know, like these are our people. So let's find out more information about them. And so it's, it's been really great developing these recipes with with people like us in mind and being able to hear that feedback as we as we make more of
1: them yeah I mean it's uh I know for me like this year I'm not doing a backcountry um hunt necessarily every year I do an adventure hunt which for me is just like I travel somewhere other than Pennsylvania and hunt for <laughs> like for, yeah. for two weeks you know sometimes I go to Montana and do that you know this year I'm going to Iowa for like two and a half weeks um so that'll be a cool hunt but in those, it's like I'm in the timber at dark and I don't come out till dark. And so when I get back, it's like I unpack, try to get everything ready for the next morning. That way I don't have to think. When I get up, I just go, you know, and do. And so, you know, I don't have a lot of time to eat. And I, like the last thing I want to do is spend a bunch of time making, making food. And so my solution recently for the most part would be like I would literally just make a bunch of food as much as I could make, pack it in coolers and then have like a, a crock pot that whenever I got home, I would just turn it on high and try mm-hmm. to cook something just to where it was like warm ish, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's what I would eat for like, you know, two weeks was just all those frozen, frozen foods, but it would still take too much, like take longer than I would like to, to, to make. So I am super stoked to have found you <laughs> in next mile meals <laughs> because you will be fueling my dinners this year for my, uh, for my Iowa hunt. So I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, awesome
2: Take lots of photos on there we want to see where you're going
1: yeah yeah for sure but uh, I I know you are talking about you know you guys are kind of dipping your toe in the in the in the in the hunter space right because there's a, obviously a need there for the backcountry hunters and adventure hunters and and, and and stuff like that which is which is killer and I know we talked about this and we touched on this just a little bit before we started recording but I'm always interested just to get the perspective of those who sit outside of like the hunting community specifically. Um, and always just, like, to kind of take stock and, like, how do other people who enjoy the outdoors, like, how do they think about us? Um, what do they think of us? And, you know, what do they think of conservation and, like, what our role is in that, In, in I guess, what both of our roles are in that. Um, and so knowing that, you know, I know you're from PA, you are familiar with hunting, you have some hunter clientele as as well that are that are using next mile meals and so I thought it'd be a great just kind of a cultural discussion that we could have briefly just to kind of touch on that just because I think it's always good for both sides to hear each other's perspective because I think the more we know about each other uh, the more we can be aligned for the things that we all want which is clean air clean water and wild places to stay wild and free.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and again, I think the the biggest thing I can say regarding like my opinions and thoughts is like I'm still learning, I'm, yeah. and that's that's kind of the cool thing, and and I think this is where maybe I think the going in with an open mind is different. So yeah, I'm not a hunter. I grew up fishing. Um, oh man, my dad, there was never any. There was never any bonding if it wasn't over a a Mets game or a fishing trip. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, like, I I grew up, like, knowing how to put a worm on a hook with no issue. But, yeah, hunting was never a part of of growing up for me. And so a bunch of my mom's family had hunting cabins, but we weren't – it wasn't a thing we did. Um, And, yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, rural Pennsylvania. And so my experience with hunting was white-tailed deer population control. And so Mm. I grew up not doing it myself, but having a healthy respect for it, of, like, knowing how important it was. Otherwise, they'd eat all the irises in the front yard. Right. And so I don't think I ever thought negatively of hunters. I just sort of felt neutrally like, oh, these people have a hobby that I don't participate in, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I fell into um, a career that was very conservation minded. And so I was the uh, head of marketing at a couple of different zoos in the country. And so mindset being, you know, here are these ambassador animals that you know a, a child can stand in front of and connect to this you know it's uh, you know it's wild counterpart and therefore maybe instill a bit of conservation awareness and mindedness when you know you're looking at a giraffe in a zoo but there are wild giraffes that like need our support, and unless you like are connected to nature in a specific way, in a visceral way, you know you may not care about African safaris because you, maybe you'll never be there. But um, it was my job was essentially how do I make people philosophically connected to the idea of wildlife conservation? Uh, and so even after I left the world of zoos and aquariums and I, I started working in tech, that was still my mindset of like finding ways for me personally connect to nature. And so for me, it meant hiking. For me, it meant backpacking of, you know, setting up a tent in the middle of the woods and being freaked out as I heard deer, you know, crunching nearby and wondering if right. it was a bear. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, coming full circle, then, you know, hunters started reaching out to us about um, their meals and they would send photos and, you know, the photos of like the hunts that we helped fuel. And never once did I like cringe at them. I was like, oh, cool. I wonder what that animal is. Like, oh, how do you even get there? And that's when we learned about backcountry hunting. And I have so much respect for for these hunters that go out and spend multiple days, like, you know, hunting specific animals and like processing them in the field and then carrying them back. Like, man, I'm, I'm an ultralight backpacker. My pack weighs 12 pounds. I can't imagine (laughs) carrying in an animal. So it's just been, it's been, there's been no judgment on my part. There's been no, I mean, I know, I think a lot of, I think a lot of like hikers and outdoor enthusiasts think, you know, oh, you're killing animals or a lot of hunters feel like they're constantly battling the 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 PETA lovers, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> on the other side, right. it's not that polarizing. It's it's there's like these fascinating shades of gray in understanding both sides of that coin. Um, I mean, quite frankly, I think mountain bikers do far more damage to trails and wild places than hunters do. Hunters right. are are responsible for so many conservation efforts. Um, there are animals that have been on the brink of extinction and been brought back, if not for hunting revenue yeah. and, and and sort of um, captive populations that are brought back. And so having like been in both of those worlds of of you know zoos and conservation and and fundraising and knowing how much how much work and effort goes into keeping wild places wild and that hunting is a part of that and yeah. backpacking is a part of that and if we all sort of agree that like we're like you know leave no trace and preserve these spaces then we're working towards the same goal we're on the same side fighting you know extinction levels or or habitat destruction. And so as long as I think as long as our our two hobbies and the hobbyists that are in those groups kind of work together, I think that there's a lot of progress we can make and then, um, I'm really I'm excited to see all the photos on our Instagram account from our customers coming in over the next couple of years as they get all their all their tags or r- raffles or whatever you guys call them. Right. I'm figuring it out as I go. Right. Um, no, it's been really cool to watch.
1: Nice. I think with I don't know that I could have found anyone to say what you just said any better. And I think I w- I'm going to right now anoint you the non-hunting kind of emperor, <laughs> the non-hunting ambassador for hunting <laughs> and outdoors, <laughs> like because.
2: Uh, you- You'd be surprised. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in the conservation world, particularly who understand the value of hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine is a writer, a science writer. Uh, and He did an entire series on duck hunting and he's not a hunter. He grew up in, in you know, urban L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, and he writes about how, how what a life changing experience it was to like go out on a duck hunt to to shoot the animal, to bring it in, to process it, and then to eat it for dinner. Like yeah. that he like went through the entire cycle and he he wrote very beautifully about what that meant. I mean like, is he a hunter now? No. But like I think, I think you'd be surprised. I think a lot of people that are conservation minded know and understand the value that hunters bring to the table. Um yeah. I think, and I think that just like there are extremists in the hunter realm who like like killing things for the sake of killing things. And 100%. it's not so much an appreciation and about conservation. Yep. I think there are there are definitely hikers who are, you know, save the animals and and like like no dead animals ever. And it's like, we need to stop thinking about each other in terms of the extremes in our group. And we're both working towards the same thing. People like we both want to keep these places wild.
1: Yeah. And we have a lot more in common than we have uh, in terms of, uh, of differences. That's, that's for sure. You know, and I think the more often we can have these types of conversations, right. Where, you know, I'm a hunter, you don't hunt, but we both like the same types of things. And we kind of recognize like, Hey, you know, there, there's these things that we hold sacred that we both want to see exist. Like, how do we work together to make sure those things continue to happen? Um, exactly. I, I think it's important. And unfortunately, I think you're hundred percent right where it's like, you know, the, the, the loudest, most annoying people, of each group, usually are the ones who get the most attention. Right. And they're the yep. ones who kind of give you, um, the black eye, you know, and like, mm-hmm. if, in, from the sense of like, you know, You know, I grew up in you know rural Pennsylvania, and I know you're probably familiar with this too, where it's like a lot of the folks I grew up around didn't have, and I'm not going to say they don't hunt, right? Because I don't ever want to tell anyone how they should hunt or whatever. It's each, it's to, you know, everyone has a different has a different meaning for everybody, right? Um, But with that being said, I definitely feel like there's a way to represent it um, to folks who are not hunters to make sure that they understand how appreciative we are of the right that we have to hunt and Mm -hmm. that we make sure that we maintain these places, um, to have them, you know, and then on the flip side, the, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the zealots on the, on the, I guess on the, on the PETA side, if we will, you know, for, (laughs) for, for for a definition, um, it, it's, uh, there's a difference between conservation and preservation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, preservation hasn't very often sustained a nearly extinct species from what I remember reading. Um, it's always been the act of conservation, you know, which was the management of what was always what was able to be able to bring back a species from near ex- from near extinction. You know, preservation is a whole it's a whole different ball of wax because you're not you're not maintaining correct numbers and balance with with what habitat can support. So then you start to introduce disease and starvation and things like that, which is terrible on the overall population, which could cause more harm than good. Um, So I think, and I think at the crux of it, I think a lot of times it's just people like don't have enough information, right? And then maybe sometimes they're too stubborn and aren't willing to, you know, either ask for the information or when someone's willing to provide it to them, they're too stubborn to accept it. So, Mm -hmm. but you have all those walks of people in just about any sect. So it's not like it's a, it's not like we, it's not like either group holds the cards on, uh, on stubborn people.
2: Right. And I think that it just comes from having an open mind, like yep. even if it's not for you, like you can hold both concepts in your head at the same time. And one of them just doesn't have to be your hobby. Like I, I still to this day, I have no desire to go out. I don't know how you guys wake up that early. Honest to God, it's mostly me, maybe not being <laughs> a loving person. Um, but no, like, I can I can look at something and appreciate it, but also know that it's not for me. Yep. And I think that a lot of people struggle with that. I think yeah. a lot of people, you know, if it's, if it's not familiar, if it's not um, a thing that, you know, feels like something that they or their neighbors do, then it's really hard to understand it and have empathy for it. And I think that's a skill that everybody can stand to develop.
1: Yeah. And I think what you said early on when we were talking about hiking and putting one foot in front of the other, that, you know, it wasn't a thing to find yourself. You knew who you who you are. I think when you have that, it's a lot easier to not be defensive because you don't yeah. feel like people are attacking you because they they can't. You you have this armor of self-confidence. You know, I mean, you know, you know who you are, so you're willing to take new ideas in because you know you'll be able to interpret them, understand them, um, and then apply them, and know whether or not they fit for you or not. And if it doesn't fit, to your point, it's like you are, you know, secure enough in your own skin to say, you know what, I understand what you're saying, and I get it, and I can appreciate it, but it doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to adopt like the the idea for my own life.
2: Exactly. You know, if somebody hands you a hat and the hat doesn't fit, you don't get pissed off at the hat. (laughs) So okay, I tried that. I'm really glad I got to try (sighs) that on. That, that hat doesn't fit. Moving
1: That's, on with my day. Right. You go about your day? That's a great analogy. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've, I've kept you here for nearly an hour, so I want to ask you just the last couple questions yeah. here and, and, and let you get going. But you know, I, I'm just curious. You know, what is the future for next mile's not, uh, next mile meals looks like? What's you know what's on the horizon for you guys?
2: Oh man. So I think it's been like, it's been three stages for us. The first one was like, oh cool. We can, we can make this company and provide this to people. And, and there's a, there's a market for it and people that are are trying to eat healthy. And we were so surprised by how successful we've been this last year. It's been great. Uh, so phase one was like, we you know, we were doing this as a part-time thing. We were just trying to get this company launched. And then this spring as the hiking season and hunting season started to pick up, we were like, you know what, this needs some full-time love. And so now I'm no longer working in tech. I'm no longer a director of marketing. Now I do this full-time and I answer customer support tickets and customer calls. If you call us, you'll probably talk to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
2: Um and and working with our commercial kitchen and, and sourcing ingredients, like that's that's my full-time job now. And so the next step from here. Um, is is getting into stores and so our dream is to hopefully one day um you know be an REI and have a hiker or a camper or a hunter walk into the store and go oh this is different and just try us and that's the cool thing is people that try us like don't turn back like we've had almost zero customer complaints and the one person that complained has never gone backpacking in her life and she was like I thought this would be like a lean cuisine meal and I'm like that's oh. not what this
0: is <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> <laughs>
2: um and so it's just been it's been such overwhelmingly positive responses from people and to to be able to be in a store like that's that's a cool dream um unfortunately to make that happen there's like a lot of bureaucratic hoops to have to jump through with inspections and, and permits and applications and and we'll get there it's just it takes a lot of money unfortunately small businesses it's a bit of a struggle nowadays it's it's hard to to get to where you need to be to compete with the big dogs and so Um, yeah, if you have the opportunity to support a small business and and anything you do in your daily life, a small coffee shop instead of a Starbucks or a little bakery, um, then, then do that because there's a person like me behind that who's trying to, who's trying to build something good and, and, and has the customer in mind. And so that's where we're at is through this summer and potentially through next year. Um, it'll be me behind the scenes working on new recipes. If anyone listening tries our meals and has suggestions, I am, I am an open door and all ears. So let us know. And we'd love to hear from people.
1: Awesome. And then, what's your next adventure? Like, what are you headed off to do? What's the, so you got this long backpack, you know, trip in in the books that you've done. Um, You know, I will, I will say, I'll extend an invite to you that, you know, on one of my next uh, backcountry hunts, you know, you don't have to Mm -hmm. hunt, but if you wanted to go, right, we could probably set something up at some point that you would be able to kind of go experience that firsthand.
2: I'd be down for tag along. That sounds great. Nice. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, we've got short trips planned here and there, but the next big one I'm setting my eyes on is, um, a CDT so the continental divide trail. I'd like nice. to get there in two years and and, and do another, you know, border to border hike. So nice. fingers crossed we can, we can make that happen.
1: Nice. And before I let you go, if you wouldn't mind, just uh, let the folks out there listening know where they can find more information about you and more information about next mile meals.
2: Yeah. So you can find us online at nextmilemeals.com, Uh, and we also are on social media, especially Instagram at at Next Mile Meals, um, and so that's where we post photos from our adventures and from our customers' adventures, and we have advice for healthy hiking and, and meal planning. That is not just our meals; it's, it's we try to be a resource to people. So, yeah, it's just you know, and you can email us at hi at next You'll probably reach me.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, folks out there listening. Make sure to check them out. Give them a follow on Instagram and Jesse Gregor. Everybody, thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Jesse for joining us. Be sure to head over to nextmilemeals.com. Check out the products they have there and also give them a follow on Instagram if you'd be so kind. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It'd be super rad if you do those two things for us. Before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered. Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Obsession Bows, Ram Cap Rodheads, Trophy Taker Rests, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
0: November's on my heels. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. I ain't welcome anymore.
2: Coming if it
0: all, oh,
2: it takes a special
0: knowing the colorful image table.